Hello, and welcome to the Without Exception podcast. My name is Josiah Ott, and on this podcast, I seek to share practical content for everyday Christians. My hope is that I can help you live out your faith each day without exception. Welcome to episode 24 of Without Exception. Thank you for listening. Today, we are finishing the discussion of hermeneutics by touching briefly on the topics of genre and the Council of Scripture. Now, I hope the last few weeks you've been blessed by the series of episodes on becoming a Berean and hermeneutics, the idea of digging into the word for yourself and ensuring that what we read and what we apply and even what we hear uh, preached or even maybe what you hear on Instagram from various preachers is actually in alignment with what God uh, desired for it to mean, what God desired for us to do with the text. I think it's very important, and I know that it might be some repeat for a a few of you, I don't know. But for me, there are times in my life when I hear things that I already know, and because it comes from a different perspective, or maybe it's just at the right time, it can still challenge me even though I've heard it before. So I hope that even if you've heard most of this material before from other sources, that it was still a blessing to you. And I'm excited to dive into some other topics here in the next few weeks. But today, focusing on genre and the Council of Scripture, Both these ideas really show that you don't want to just build um, a biblical interpretation off of just one verse. Now, each individual verse in scripture, I believe, is powerful. I believe there's application and things we can take away. Yet, we don't want to go and just take one verse by itself, build out all this doctrine from it or this application to your life that you think is going to be great. And then you look at another section of scripture and you're like, you know, those don't really go together very well. So God desired um, for the entire Bible to be in our possession. That's why we have it. I believe for a fact that all of it is God's word. I believe that he desires for us to use all of it and to not just go and find some little part we like and then neglect the rest. I think it's important to remember that all of it tells the overall story of redemption, uh, you know, how creation fell, and then God ultimately redeemed all of creation through Jesus Christ. And he put the law into place in the Old Testament to show people their sinfulness, right? All of it points to the culmination of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. And so when we realize that God had this big message that he wanted to share with his creation, we realize that we don't want to just take one little facet of scripture and interpret it to the neglect of others. So first, a brief discussion on genre. I'm not going to get into it much, but I think it's important to at least touch on uh, as far as hermeneutics is concerned. And genre is very important because not every genre is interpreted the same way. In the Old Testament, you got five categories or genres. You got narrative, law, poetry, prophets, and wisdom. And in the New Testament, there's four, uh, the Gospels, there's Acts, Revelation, and obviously the letters. Um, Revelation's prophecy, it's kind of like the Old Testament prophets in some ways. Acts is largely a narrative, and the Gospels are narrative, but there's also teaching points in there as well. It's not just narrative. So it's important to realize that what section you're reading and whether or not this is telling a story, if it's something you're supposed to do, if it's something that's just recording that physically happened, you'll find, especially in the Old Testament, there's a lot of narrative, which is just means a story in the Old Testament that has a lot of really, really wild details. Sorry, you might hear my daughter um, in the background a little bit. She's, I guess, having a good time tonight. But you'll, you'll find in the Old Testament, a lot of times there's these stories and they're pretty intense and you're like, what in the world? Why is this in here? I remember as a teenager, some of the first times that I started actually reading the scripture for myself, I found some of the Old Testament narratives and they, they really concerned me. I was like, why in the, in the world is this in the Bible? You know, what, 
what is God doing? You know, like, why did God allow this? Is this something we're supposed to do? You know, and I did not really fully grasp that narratives and stories are there to record an event. It does not endorse the event. It definitely doesn't endorse the event. A lot of times, actually, in the Old Testament, we find that the the inclusion of these stories is specifically things that you do not want to do. It's actually, instead of proclaiming something that you should do, it's like, no, don't don't do this at all. You know, David and Bathsheba is not a model for anybody uh, for what to do. At least it's definitely in a lot of ways, a model of what not to do. And so I've, I've learned as I've grown in my own faith and my own understanding of scripture that, you know, there's a huge difference between what God desires and what's been simply recorded. I think it's important to realize too, that a lot of the old Testament, um, there it's a record of God punishing his people for their sins. You know, they, they would turn to these other gods, they worship these other gods, and then their God, the true God, he would turn them over to, to captors, to enemy nations, and they would be judged. And you look at this, and if you don't understand you know, the big story that God is telling of redemption and how he wants a people who will be loyal to him and worship him only, right? He's the only one we want to serve. You know, If you neglect all these things you, and you just look at it as this one individual story, you're like, what in the world is going on? But then when you realize what is going on, and specifically the genre, the fact that it's a narrative, it's not endorsing it, it really, really helps. I think one of the best examples of this is the actually the book of Judges. Uh, Judges is a narrative book. I think, as far as I can remember, it's entirely narrative. It's all stories. And basically, the crux of Judges is found in the last verse of the book. And it says, uh, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so basically the book of Judges shows utter chaos like the whole time. That's the whole point is it's like without law, without leadership, without people in charge. You know, when the, when the people of God were not following after God and they did not have a leader that was following after God, they would serve other gods. They would get into all this mess. And then God would send these enemy nations and they would be in trouble and they would cry to God for help. And God would send a judge who would come and he'd, you know, sort out the problem temporarily, but then it would all start over again. And so we, we see this and we find out that like nothing in the book of Judges is a model for what we should do. In fact, it's almost entirely models of what we should not do. But if you don't know that because you don't understand genre, then you can really get into trouble. Again, then you have poetry in the Old Testament. Poetry is a little bit different than prophecy. Although sometimes David did prophesy, you find that some of the Psalms are actually quoted as being prophetic in the New Testament. But like a lot of the prophets, right, there was times that they would uh, foretell the future and talk about the Messiah or coming judgment. But there was also a lot of the prophets was preaching where the prophets were like a preacher that would go and call the people to repentance. Didn't always have a futuristic aspect to it, although it did at times. So you, you just realize that there's different parts here. And then when God had put in the law in the Old Testament, the law was things to do or not to do. And so you realize that, you know, that's a mandate versus you look at the, the book of Judges, it's definitely not at all a mandate. So beyond just discussing genre, I, I, going into the idea of the council of scripture, together, they really show that we need to look at more than just one little section. We need to understand the where what we're reading, where it fits into the context of the entire Bible. So we talked about literary context as far as where a verse sits in a specific passage, a historical and cultural context as far as where something fits specifically um, into that time of Israel's history or the current culture at that time versus Old Testament, New Testament. Was this Old Covenant or New Covenant? And those things. But there's also the context of where does this verse sit in the whole discussion of Scripture? And it's important to remember, too, that the ultimate goal 
of biblical interpretation, right? That's what all of hermeneutics is, the study of these principles of biblical interpretation. Well, ultimately, the goal is biblical application. And so when we go and we start searching out these these verses and what do they mean and what does that mean for me today and what can I do to get my hands on this and actually put it into practice in my own life, well, you have to remember that we take that and we have to weigh it against the rest of Scripture. In the context of the entire Bible, is this specific application I've come up with appropriate? Is it true to what God intends? And so we realize that we need to go ahead and do that. Uh, I, I call it consulting the counsel of Scripture. I think I've heard that from somewhere. That's the the term I typically use. Uh, Duval and Hayes, as I said in the intro, they talk, talk about consulting the biblical map. So you have to go ahead and look into all the all the Scripture and find out, you know, how does this fit? Is it is it appropriate with what the New Testament says? Especially when you're reading the Old Testament, you might read through some of Leviticus and find out, like, man. I'm wearing polyester shorts with a cotton shirt, and you're not supposed to mix various fabrics. Well, then you realize, well, that law is no longer in place, and you look at the, you know, the ceremonial law and the sacrificial laws of the Old Testament, and realize, you know, Jesus fulfilled the sacrifices. The ceremonial laws are no longer necessary, and then you could look at something like the the Book of Acts, where you find that Peter has the vision, where suddenly they're allowed to eat pork, where in Leviticus they, you know, pigs were unclean. So it's like, well, how come I can suddenly eat pork? Well, you look and realize that that God made this change because now there's a new covenant. But if you only look at one portion of scripture, you might miss that. And so I'm going to share uh, a couple examples of some things that could kind of be leaned one way or the other if you don't dive into all of scripture. And I hope it is helpful to kind of show this point. I mean, I could, I could share countless things, but I just picked a few. Uh, first one is the idea of being saved by faith, and then the ideas of faith without, without works is dead. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So you see that one of the most foundational uh, doctrines of Christianity, that salvation is a gift, we cannot earn it, there's nothing we can do to deserve it, it, it we just have to merely accept it by faith. But then you read uh, James, Jesus' half-brother, in his letter, he said this. He said, well, what good is it, my brothers, if someone has says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? And then he goes on to say, if you see somebody lacking in food and you just ignore them and say, go in peace and you know everything be okay, uh, what good is that? And then he says that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So these things, it's like, well... You know, are we saved by faith or are we saved by works? You know, and you kind of have to weigh them one against each other. Well, we are definitely not saved by works. Paul made that very, very clear in the Ephesian letter. However, true faith is evidenced by works. And so you, you balance them together and realize I can't just believe in Jesus and lock myself in a room and never do anything ever. You know, like that's not true faith. The true faith in Jesus and understanding him as the Lord of our lives should move us to action. That doesn't mean that the action is is the is the um, saving grace that, that we have. No, the action is the evidence that we've experienced his saving grace. And so you have to take these two things together. Another idea is you can compare um, some verses that might seem to lean us more towards the prosperity side of things. And then it, maybe that's not exactly where we want to go. Um, with the gospel. So John 10, 10 is a famous verse. It says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus came that they, we might have life and have it abundantly. And that is a great verse. And it sounds really nice. And it's like, well, what does abundant life mean? 
maybe it means a brand new car and, you know, a, a nice big house with a white picket fence. You know, it could mean all these different things. Well, I, I'm not sure if that's exactly what it means. Psalm 1 also talks about prosperity. It says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the, in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does, he prospers. So we see, okay, there's this idea of prosperity, and then Jesus said that we'll have life and we'll have life abundantly. Well, what do these things mean? Or do they mean, you know, having all these great things in this life? Well, then you can go ahead and read some other passages of Scripture and find out, like, for instance, Paul the Apostle had to work. And he, he was a tent maker. He didn't take his living off the gospel. I think the Philippians uh, gave him a contribution at one point, but he told, I, I believe, the church at Corinth multiple times, like, look, I legitimately, I can take money from you. It's okay. Like, as, as an apostle, I can take money from you. I can live off the gospel, but I don't want to. Like, I'm, I don't want there to be any hindrance. So he still had to work. He didn't just have this lavish life where he could just lay back and stuff would fall on his lap. And then not only that, he faced many, many hardships. Paul was stoned. And, and, you know, like you realize like, oh, this is life more abundantly. He was stoned. He was hit with rocks until they thought he was dead and they, they left him for dead. Turned out he was okay. I mean, he spent a day and a night adrift at sea, hold, holding on to a, a piece of wood, I'm assuming. And so Paul had a very difficult life. And it's like, well, is that, a, is that abundant life? And you look at the ideas of trials. If you read through the book of Acts, you find out that, you know, life more abundantly doesn't always mean like a peaceful life where we have no problems. So what does it mean? Well, you can go and realize that in the midst of trials, that doesn't nullify the faithfulness of God, because ultimately God's promise is that we will have eternal life in heaven with him, where there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more sadness, all, all these things that are culminated in heaven. Not all those promises apply to this life. And I think sometimes we get really, you know, kind of off when we start looking at trials and realize, you know, trials are our our promise. Jesus said that in the world, we will have tribulation. He said that in John chapter 16. And so you go and you're like, well, God, I thought you'd never leave me or forsake me. And God, I thought you were giving me life more abundantly. And it's like, yeah, God is with you in the trials and God is going to give you abundant life. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have a life without trials. So I think that's an important thing. There's just a few examples. So you go and you realize like, hey, maybe these things are speaking to my spiritual life that I can have have a good life and a good relationship with God, even if everything in the natural doesn't always work out perfectly. Furthermore, we can know that uh, eventually we will have the most abundant life, and that is eternal life with Jesus in heaven. And in that way, uh, he'll never disappoint. And I, I'm actually going to hopefully do a few episodes um probably not right now, but in the near future on the concept of trials. We've been diving into the book of Acts with our youth group, um, like 11 parts deep, I think right now, or 12, something like that. We're almost done, but I've been so challenged in my own life about looking at the the trials that the apostles faced and and then it the number of times that I think, you know, stuff should just go perfectly in life. And it's like, no, that's, that's not at all a promise that God gave. And, but then you, you have this, pre, this idea of this is how it should be. And then you're like, no, like even in scripture, things didn't always go perfectly. And so I'm hoping to dive into that a little bit, but I hope that this episode was an encouragement to you uh, to look throughout all of scripture. It doesn't mean you need to read every book all the time, uh, but you do want to make sure that you look through and see, especially if you're coming up with a life application and something specific, you don't want to take one verse 
like all the way home to the neglect of all the others. Remember, the entirety of Scripture tells the story of redemption, how creation fell, how God redeemed all of us to himself, ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. So all of the Bible tells one big story. And then all the books, though they're different, they do collect together. And so then, therefore, they should be read together. We can't read everything at once, but when you do come up with that point of application from your reading, you want to be assured that it is in alignment with the rest of Scripture. And so with that, I thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Without Exception podcast. I pray that this episode has been edifying to you and that it is something you can put into practice in your own life. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and share it with others. If you were listening on Apple, I would love it if you would leave a review. It helps with the exposure of the show. That said, I pray you have an awesome week. And until I see you next time, let's live out our faith each day without exception.